we are starting in a brand new series through the book of Daniel. How many have had a chance to ever read the thing or read it recently since we said we were going to start it? Okay, we've got some hands up. All right. Excellent. Wow, you guys are great. Man, I'm really, really impressed with that. Um, wonderful. So how many find Daniel to be uh, both interesting and complex or difficult at times? It's, it's, yeah, we got a few, <clears throat> a few hands. Yeah, it's not, it's not like, uh, you know, the, the easy stories that are in there, uh, which even those stories, if we press more deeply, aren't easy. Daniel in the lion's den. You know, those are, that's the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, in the fiery furnace. Um, and these are stories that a lot of our kids, you know, I grew up listening to, hearing, and uh, reading. So um, we're going to begin at chapter one, and we're going to work through it together. Um, and I think that there's something really, really uh, good here that's helpful to us. The wisdom of the ancient tradition and this is again when I use wisdom, I don't. I'm, I'm specific. I'm not talking about the particular teachings that are that are in there. I'm not talking about the instructions that are in the Book of Daniel. I'm talking about the wisdom. So wisdom is transferable. The instructions, not always. So you have things that are interesting in the Old Testament that you don't see repeated in the New Testament. You have things in the Old Testament that change over the time of the Old Testament. So. You know, there's uh, there's there's that that happens. That's a normal part of uh, the way the scriptures work. So, for example, in the story we're going to read, Daniel is refuses to eat meat because that meat has probably been well, not probably has been offered to the idols first. Right? But then, when you fast forward to Paul, Paul has a different take on meat that's offered to idols. And he says, if your conscience can bear it, do it and do it with thanksgiving. But then in other places, he says, don't. So this is where it's, it's, it's you know, you start to see some changes, some movements, and you see some back and forth because, once again, the instructions that are given are particular for a particular people, a particular time. But the wisdom is what we're trying to draw from this that is applicable to us today. So let me give you a little bit of backdrop if you've read Daniel, Daniel is sort of like a telescoping in to a particular story, to a particular series of historical events, right? So in 2 Kings, or first and 2 Kings, you get the story of the kings of Israel. First, you have, you have David, who has this united, he unites all the, um, the, 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 his people, the Jewish people. He unites them into one kingdom. Prior to that, they were divided. During his time, that's when Israel is at her, the peak of her glory and her power. Shortly after that, the kingdom splits. David's sons, uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, so that the kingdom splits. You have a northern kingdom and you have a southern kingdom. And the book of Kings is describing what happens over the next few hundred years with these kings of Israel who are really not doing a good job for the most part. You have bad king, good king, bad king, good king, and this keeps going on and on and on until it gets bad, bad, worse, even worse. And finally, now we're heading downward because we're towards the end of the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom has already been exiled. They're gone. The southern kingdom is the only thing that's remaining. 
And this is where we find the book of Daniel. You have the story of, uh, you have this, uh, this king, Jehoiakim, who's really not a good king. And so he is reigning at the time. And, uh, and so if you read through Second Kings, you're going to read about him. But it's just kind of moving through it very quickly, moves through all the kings very quickly and gets to the end. Daniel, it's the, it's the telescoping in. Let's telescope in at this particular juncture where all these kings are doing evil. Jehoiakim is one of them. But there's something that happens in the midst of this. Because if you read the kings, you start to feel pretty depressed. It does not feel really good. It feels like, man, this is just bad news, then a little bit of good news and bad news. Um, and one can wonder, as the ancient Jewish people would have, where is God in all of this? But that's the big question that they'd seek to answer is where is God in the midst of all of this? And so let's begin with Daniel chapter one and take a look at um, what this writer is saying here. All right, Daniel chapter one. <clears throat> in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So there have been different empires prior to that. The Egyptians are, were, were one of them, but, but now Babylon is the, is the most powerful nation at the time. And so they've come against Jerusalem. And what they would do is they would come besiege it. They would make these kings become vassal kings to serve the suzerain king. So they could still reign over their area, but they would be heavily taxed. And in return, they would be protected from other empires who might come against them to try to wipe them out. And so this is the setting here. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, okay, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Okay, let me just pause here for a moment because this is a great place to just uh, pause here and um, and 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 take a look at what is being communicated, so we get the setting. Um, let me just read verse six and seven because it just goes through the names. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Ab Abednego. Okay, so this is where we get the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego names. All right, so <clears throat> if you're following, you're getting, you're getting a sense of, first of all, 
um, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has come against them by the hand of God. God has made this, allowed this to happen, caused this to happen, however we want to frame it. And the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has gone into the temple or has taken the articles from the temple of Israel, uh, Israel's God. Okay, so uh, at the time, this is called Judah because it's the southern kingdom. So Judah's God, right? So Judah's God reigns in the temple, is supposed to be the supreme God of all gods. And Babylon's gods are able to come along with Babylon, which is how they would have the ancient Near East thought of things, is that their gods fought along with them and fought the other gods, clearly winning. In this case, not only winning, but taking those articles from the temple and putting them into his own, Nebuchadnezzar's own temple to his gods. That's the ultimate way of saying, you have been defeated, now you're serving, now your gods are serving our gods. Right? Then what he does is he doesn't just take the best articles from the temple, he takes the best people, okay? the nobility. These are royal people. These are people to believe to be, uh, to be animated with spirit to be animated with the divine. So he takes them, takes the best of the best, and wants to give them his food and his wine. Why? Because everything is, think of animism. Everything is animated by spirits, by, by these deities that rule over particular areas of, the, of land, uh, particularly domains, right? And so they're in Babylon, this is where the Babylonian gods reign and rule. The food, all of this stuff is animated. It is offered to the gods to be blessed by the gods in order to give more abilities, favors, uh, uh, wisdom, divine wisdom to these officials. Are you with me so far? So if that's the case, then when they're coming in here, when Babylon or when um uh, when when uh, Nebuchadnezzar is offering them food, do, doing all this stuff and training, these people, these 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 guys, Daniel um, and the his three compatriots here, they're all being pressured into following this and going along with it. They don't have much choice. They have to do this. They've been completely taken. Not only have they been taken, but their names have been changed. The names were specific because every name in ancient Hebrew was some kind of attribution, most of the names were some kind of attribution to God. In some way it was, you know, we're naming you because of our, it's connected to our faith. And so to have your name robbed from you is not only that you've been taken, not only have the articles of the temple been taken, but your own name has been taken. So nothing of your faith, nothing of your connection to God is, it remains. In fact, your names now are an attribution to their gods. So, this is a tough place. This is a very difficult place for these guys. And they don't know, you know, I'm sure they don't know at times what to do, how to respond, right? But in this case, they do. Let's read on in verse eight. But Daniel does resolve not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, why would he have defiled himself? What well, was against their, was against their 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 religious laws, the Jew, Jewish laws? You know, to eat meat that was offered to another idol was to defile oneself. And so Daniel says, "I can't do that." Right? 
you can change a whole lot about me, you know, take me away from my land. You can take the articles from the temple of God. You can take all of this. And yet it looks like our God has, has allowed this to happen, right? It's, 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 that's what it seems like in the midst of the darkness of all the Kings failing and so on. Maybe this is, this is, this is part of God's plan as well. I don't know. And so they're, they're completely at, you know, in a, a, a disoriented in every way, and they've got nothing really to hold on to except for this thing that they believe in, which is I cannot do this. This would be too far. And so they hold on and they say, no, I'm sorry, we're not going to eat the meat that has been offered to the gods. All right. So he says this, Please, verse 12, test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. So this is assuming these vegetables were not the, the, the foods that were offered to idols and um, were also, by the way, poor people's food. So they were eating poor people's food and drinking water, of course, was a poor person's drink. Um, so then compare our appearance with that of young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better and, uh, and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice of food and wine, their choice food, excuse me, and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of time, set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief officials presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the, all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. All right. Well, for those of us who grew up in church, heard the story. This is a famous story. This is one in which it's, you know, there's the moral of the story, you know. Um, it, don't, uh, don't eat meat offered to idols, which, of course, that doesn't happen today. But then we translate that to, you know, other ways of trying to apply it appropriately so. Um, some have gone off and, and dis, you know, talked about this as a secret, you know, secret to health, you know, so don't, don't eat meat at all, just eat vegetables, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, there's been books written on that. Um, and, and there's probably some goodness, some good to that as well. We don't, you know, but the point, that's not the, the point that Daniel's driving at, or that the book is driving at. It's something greater. And again, this is where the wisdom that we want to pull from this um, applies. So let's look at what's happening. First of all, as we've said, Nebuchadnezzar has taken the best of the best from the from their land, best of the articles from the temple and their nobility. By Daniel refusing to eat this food that was supposed to imbue them with powers, with wisdom, Daniel is saying uh, a few things, I believe. One is that there's a, there's a message that's being communicated that, that I think is important. Um, and that is that Daniel is not going to perpetuate this belief, this ancient Near East belief. There are these beliefs that the ancient Near East had about their gods. And that's the reason why these foods were offered 
to them. And, uh, and Israel was part of doing that at this point. So you think of Israel as being monotheist, like worshiping only God. She wasn't. She wasn't. She was worshiping many different gods and was worshiping the gods uh, of other nations as well. And so you have Babylon and Egypt and many of the other ancient Near East um, nations who have been worshiping these gods. And the common belief in the ancient Near East world was this, that gods exist way up in the sky. They are separated from humans and don't want to interact with humans. They don't like humans that much. Humans are annoying and oftentimes uh, noisy and needy. And, and so the gods live up there. But however, there's a problem. The gods need food and they need the food that humans can provide to them. And so where do you meet the gods? Well, you climb the mountains and you get to the, the, the highest point of the mountain because that's a halfway point between the sky or the dome they believe that existed where the gods would exist, would live. And then the low earth or the valleys or places where people lived. So you climb to the top of the mountain, you make offerings, you make sacrifices, you offer food to the gods. And then what you hoped for was that you would gain favor from the gods by having done that. Okay, so the ancient Near East gods wanted to control human behavior for their own ends. They needed food from the people and in trade would grant them favors. That was the theory. And only special people could meet with the gods. They're called priests who would offer requests to them, offer food to them and get instructions on how to continue to gain favor from these gods, right? This is the common belief. This is what Israel had fallen into in terms of their belief about Yahweh, their God, was that it was all about sacrifices. It was all about trying to manipulate God to do them favors while they manipulated others and did the same thing. So how you see God is oftentimes how you will see yourself and other people. If your God is a God who's capricious, if your God is a God who, who uh, demands much and offers little, if your God is the God who doesn't want to answer prayer, really, just sort of sits back and you have to really work hard at getting that God to answer prayer, well, then you're going to be that kind of a king. You're going to be that kind of a ruler who doesn't want to waste your time with a lowly people. And so uh, this is their view of, 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 uh, of God, um, and God is trying to communicate something very differently through Daniel. So this is the reason why Daniel ends up in captivity. Now, here's the big aha for Israel. Because Israel was doing, Judah was doing the same things with their God that the ancient Near East was doing with their gods, God has to do something, and so God allows Israel to be taken captive. And in captivity, there would be an opportunity where now at this point, Daniel and the three boys with him have an opportunity to be light in the midst of darkness. They can actually do the thing that needs to be done to shift the way people see the divine, see the gods, see the way they, 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 treat, they treat each other. 
And in order for this to shift, it takes, it takes difficulty. Things don't shift easily, right? Things don't change easily. The ancient Near East had believed this for a long, 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 long time. And so that's not gonna change overnight, but it's gonna start to change through one person and then through two people and then through three and so on and so forth. And I'll tell you what, I believe that there are changes happening right now in our country, but it's happening to one ring to can, but we hope for, for this country, that's for sure. And for the rest of the world. And so what's the test? The test is, are you going to eat this meat and perpetuate this belief that these gods need to eat this food that they need to, that they, they uh, want to control, that they do not care about humans, that they do not live among humans, that the only way you can get them to do anything is you have to offer them way more than what they're willing to give. You have to pray, you have to beg, you have to, and what does this remind you of for those of you who've read the Bible? Uh, you've read the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, or Baal, as it's often called, and the prophets of Baal want are, 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 are cutting themselves and bleeding to try to get Baal to respond, while Elijah just simply says, God, would you send fire? And boom, fire comes down. So there's this competition. Why is this happening? It's again to confront this idea that the, that, that the gods don't care. The gods don't want to live among us. The gods have nothing to do with humans and that they're demanding. And because of this belief, see, it's not enough that there's just this belief. Again, what you believe about God is what you will be on earth. If you believe God is this way, this is the way you'll treat other people. And this is the way it was. Kings acted very much like the gods they worshiped. It was about control. It was about domination. It was about taking. It was never about giving. And so Daniel says, I'm not going to eat this meat. But he gives them a chance so that it doesn't, you know, create much of a problem. He says, just test me. Let's test us and see what happens. And so the chief official says, okay, we'll run this test. He does. And what comes of it? Well, Daniel's healthier. So what message does the chief official get from that? What do you think? This is a big moment of the light coming into the darkness. What is the, what is the message the chief official gets from that? Well, one of the messages is he could have gotten was Israel's God. Maybe Israel's God's more powerful than the gods we worship. Maybe that might have been one of the messages. But I believe that there are several messages that even apply to us today. And one of them is that God is already with us regardless of where we are. You imagine the chief official thinking, We've taken everything from them. Like, we've taken the articles from their temple. We've taken their nobility. We've changed their names. They're not living in the land of their God. They're living in the land of our God. Yet somehow their God is here. That's, that would have been a, an aha for him. What, wait. <laughs> You're eating vegetables and drinking water. And you're in our land. 
It's one thing if you were in Israel in Judah and we were there and you were eating this food and you were blessed and you were wise and all that, we'd get that part. That makes sense because that's how it works here too. The problem is it's happening here and it should not. Our gods are here. Your gods are over there. So what's one of the big messages, the big ahas is that, no, whoever this God is, at very least, he travels. He gets places. He goes places. He hangs out with people. That's the second one. Apparently, this God is within or has filled Daniel with spirit, with power, with wisdom, even though he is not, this God is not the God of the land. So it's a powerful moment for, uh, for the officials and would be for Nebuchadnezzar when he would find out that these guys were not eating his meat and drinking his wine, but instead were eating vegetables and drinking water and were filled with spirit. And Nebuchadnezzar is a very practical man. He just thinks of it as, okay, I'll take it because it'll keep me powerful. The more better wisdom I get from them, the more power I will gain. But you're going to see what's going to happen in the ensuing chapters because he does get that arrogance going and something shifts because this God is always and everywhere at all times. And this God will always bring justice in the end. <laughs> and that's one of the things that is true about Yahweh is this God. There is a competition of ideas going on here, and it's a good one. And it's one that needs to win that our God is a loving God. Our God is a God that chooses to live among us. Our God is a God who is in the places of our darkness. And for Daniel and for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, for those guys to be in the midst of a place of total disorientation, a place of total darkness, their names have changed. Their culture has changed. Their everything about what they know is changing. They're learning a new language and having to speak in that language. Nothing is the same. There is no order. There is chaos in the midst of, of their lives. And yet in this sweet spot, they find one thing to hold on to. And they say, well, we're going we're gonna to trust here. We're going to trust that our God is present. And that's been the lesson we've always been trying to understand and yet never quite getting there, that we still viewed God as way out there in the distance and God is not, God is present right here in the midst of our darkness. And this is one of the big lessons, not only for Daniel and for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, but it's one for them. It's one that the prophets would speak to. It's one that Jesus would speak to. Referencing that he was the light in the midst of Rome. A Roman empire. A, 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 he was a light in the midst of his own people who were dominated and controlled by a foreign power. And that Israel in this moment and Judah, they both have been taken away in, in captivity. Judah almost. Judah would fall not many years after but already people were being taken from them. But Daniel is like a Jesus in the midst of Rome. Daniel is the Christ or Christ in the midst of Babylon, right? He is light. The very thing that God always wanted Israel to be was a light to the nations, 
and she couldn't be because she wanted to be separate from the nations. She wanted to be outside of them. She did not want to be part of them. And God oftentimes sends us in to places of darkness. And, and there's a twofold reason for that. One is in the darkness, there's a change that happens within us. We are changed. We are transformed. And it is be, through that transformation, through that change, that then we become light to the world around us. Okay? God does in us what he wants to do through us all the time. You know, this is not an external work. This is not about Israel and her glory and look at me, we're prosperous, we're successful. You should be like us. That's how she perceived her, her glory to be. But instead, it's an internal transformation. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have everything stripped in terms of externals. But when they arrive there in Babylon, they're still the internal. They still have, they are being changed themselves. They're being transformed and light is coming within them. And I love this moment where they have to choose. And it's a difficult choice. They could have said, well, everything has been taken from us. Why don't we just go along to get along? But in this moment, they say, no, we're not because we have a moment and opportunity to, to, to be light. We have a moment and an opportunity to say no to something in order to say yes to something else. And we can say yes to something greater. And we can perpetuate a belief about God that is different than the ones that you possess. God is present among us. That even while eating poor people's food, that God is present and that that food is enough. That we don't need to go chasing anything, don't need to go to the gods of the, of the foreign nation, of the foreign, you know, the, the, this, these people in order to be blessed. No, I can have God's blessing and God's presence right here in the midst of what is difficult. And that's what's beautiful about the story. And what happens is when he's tested, it turns out that they are wonderful, that they are brilliant, that there is wisdom within them. I think that's the glory, is that when we transform, it's internal and it becomes external. And Daniel looks amazing, and so do the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they perform amazingly. And so I think if we hang in there, in the midst of our darkness and we allow the transformation to take place knowing this truth god is with you right now god is with us you know um, there's this wonderful passage in psalm 23 that god prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies right it's like there's always a table there's always a place and daniel found it in the midst of all of this and they they became light and this is one of the best stories i love daniel for this reason because eventually you start to see it make its way through the empire and people start to sh shift and change, even Nebuchadnezzar himself. And so with that, my friends, let's think about that. Let's contemplate that in the midst of wherever you are. Think about the, the even if things are going great, think about the places where there are challenges and difficulty and ask yourself this question, is there change that God wants to do in me? so that God can do that through me, so that I could be light in the midst of this place of darkness.